May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The word of the Lord that guides our meditation this morning is from the epistle appointed for Epiphany from Ephesians, the third chapter, verses 8 and 9. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So far the words of St. Paul. Discussions of greatness seem to pop up in every part of our lives. Who is the greatest quarterback, pitcher, or basketball player of all time? What's the greatest college football team of the year 2010? More importantly for us, who's the greatest prof at Concordia Seminary? Or the greatest pastor in training among these hallowed halls? Uh, Maybe I should include deaconesses, DCEs, teachers, I'm married to one, and anybody else who aspires to that simply because it's all around us in our conversations, in our dialogues, and in that voice that sometimes whispers to us at various times of the night. It's in the culture, of course, because Satan likes to generate that kind of focus and to tell those kinds of lies. It's in our hearts and minds because of the corruption that we have in our sinful nature. And for us, it is a refreshing and joyful thing that on Epiphany, God speaks to us about the truly great things of this world. The struggle has been around a long time and voiced itself in countless different ways. We can imagine Eve and Adam maybe comparing which of their sons was the better son. I like Abel, I like Cain. Well, don't forget about Seth. Those kinds of things have struggled with us. We know the itching ears that people have as they they seek for new things that somehow may be the greatest. A word this morning on the television news about the latest electronics that are going to be unveiled in Las Vegas. And you and I each have our thoughts about what greatness is. The corrective comes, though, from the voice of St. Paul as he sees himself privileged to proclaim the greatness of Jesus Christ. To have experienced personally the forgiveness that Christ could offer to him to have listened to the voice of God and to know that in his heart and in his mind, God has placed a message that is intended for all people. And Paul is stricken with that double greatness. God has chosen to reveal himself as a gracious God, a God who wants to give undeserved love to all people, not just Jews, not just Gentiles, but to blend them together in a family, a family united on the solid foundation of what God has revealed through his prophets and apostles, united in hope, in joy, in peace, and even in a common mission. It is a mystery 
that Paul was permitted to unveil for his people, it is a mystery still, because when you and I share that message to the people of this world, they still look at us as though it just hasn't sunk in. The foolishness of the cross is still foolishness to vast parts of this world's population, and it will require that people carry that message and repeat that message and share that message and hold that message high to be a light that can penetrate the darkness that is around. One of the things that makes Paul so particularly special for us in that revelation of the mystery is the way it impacted his personal life. He continues to remind people from beginning to end of his mystery that he was completely unworthy to be a messenger of that. And it isn't just that he has some kind of psychological defect that has him keep talking about it all the time. It is a matter of the profound impact it made on his life. To have been one who was a murderer, a persecutor of the church, to be one who had no right to claim any participation in this ministry, to be one who couldn't even have applied for admission to the seminary with his resume and his background, and yet to be chosen by God, to be graciously singled out to be a messenger of that good news. It had an impact each day of his life. As we began the service, it reminded him that he needed to confess his sins, to be open and honest about that before God, before his own heart and conscience, and before those who had come to know him. He wasn't interested in keeping secrets so people wouldn't judge him inappropriately. But more importantly for him and for us, it was the most powerful motivator in the history of mankind. God's grace was revealed for him as a sinner. It doesn't get any more profound than that. It doesn't get any more exciting than that. It doesn't get any greater than that. At the cross where Jesus was born to, to, and designed to go, God revealed love for you, for me. God revealed hope for our future in this life and forever. God revealed the privilege that we would be messengers of that fantastic gift to the people of this world. I'm not sure whether Professor Gibbs would exactly approve of what I'm about to say about the Magi. You can ask him after service. But it seems to me that the Magi had a sense that they were not worthy to bring gifts and to come into the presence of a king. I got a thumbs up. I'll live another day. And that's the motive and the mentality that you and I have. We are never worthy to be messengers of this profound message that God has called and chosen us to share. But in that unworthiness, we live and rejoice. We are bold and dare to do things that others might not do 
for the sake of those who walk in darkness and in gratitude for what God has called us to be and to do, the least sharing the greatest that God has ever shared. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.